Well, praise the Lord. If you're visiting with us, if you're tuning in via the Internet, we want to welcome you. Just make yourself at home. We're family. Amen. I like the old Beverly Hillbillies. Take your shoes off. Huh? Sit back now. <laughs> Kick your shoes off. Stay a while, I think is what they said. If you got your Bibles, let's turn this morning with me, if you would, please, to the gospel according to Luke. I'll be reading from the NIV this morning. <clears throat> gospel according to Luke, chapter 13. I changed my sermon on the way to church this morning, so I don't know how this is all going to turn out. I've got more <laughs> scribbles on my notes than I normally have, so I'm going to try to get through this. Uh, I just feel like the Lord took me in a new direction. <clears throat> Uh, chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now they're, they're sacrificing to God, and he's killed, Pilate has killed these Galileans. There's no other mention of this anywhere in Scripture, and we don't even know really what happened, what, he's, what this is referring to. But apparently it was common knowledge in the area. This is the, the, the talk in the town about Pilate. He was certainly a wicked man. And he had slaughtered some Gal people from Galilee, Galileans, and he had mingled their blood with the blood with a sacrifice. I mean, that's an abomination. All right. Verse 2 says, Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Come on, he put sin in one great big box, didn't he? I mean, sin is sin, right? All right. <clears throat> Verse 4 says, or those 18 who died when the Tower of Shalom fell on them. Again, we don't know what that's referring to. There's no other reference to it in Scripture or in history. But it was something they apparently were aware of. And apparently they thought that was a judgment of God against them for some great sin they had committed. Okay. So he said, those 18 who died in the Tower of Shalom fell on them. Do you think that they were more guilty than all others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in a vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should you use up the soil? Mercedes said, sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then we will cut it down. Father, we ask you in Jesus' name, Lord, to, to give uh, your blessing, Father, to the word today, God, to our, our the listeners, Lord. I pray, God, that each of us will hear what the Spirit is saying to us, God. Lord, you, you're, you're a personal God. Lord, you speak to each one individually. Lord, you told each of us to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, so, God, you're doing a different thing in every single person's life. But, Lord, the Word of God, uh, Lord, your Word, it speaks to each person. 
God, no matter where they are in their journey and what they're working through, God, your word is a living thing. God, you said that it's alive and it's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit of the joint and the marrow. God, you said your word's the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. So, Lord, today I pray that your word, God, will pierce through all of the natural restraints, God. And, God, I pray that you remove everything that would block our understanding, Lord. Give us understanding today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was going over my notes this morning, I, I, I remembered a guy named Don Coble, Lieutenant Colonel Don Coble. He, he did a testimony about God softens crusty hearts and he was talking about himself because he was just a hard hard man and uh, he talked about finally his wife she got she tried to commit suicide twice because he was always gone and she was a, a, a always a military wife and he was never at home and and it was really bad you know and so some neighbors down the street started witnessing to her and she got saved starting going to church and he said she totally transformed and so he went to church with her, and he said he'd never been to church in his life. And he said he walked in. His concept of church was, was some little short, bald-headed, fat preacher that had breathing problems that couldn't do anything else, and all women in the church. And he said he walked in there, and it was men in that church. And he said they weren't just little weenie men. He said, man, one guy liked to crush his hand. The other one almost jerked his arm out of the sh- socket when he shook his hand. He said they were men. And said, they brought a big old Bible and plopped it in my lap and said, I was halfway through the service before my son finally said, Daddy, turn it over. He said, I didn't know what to do with it. But he goes on talking about how God changed him and and transformed him and softened his crusty heart. And that's really the parable that Jesus is talking about here. You know, that fig tree is in ground. It's using up the vineyard. All right, every other tree in that vineyard is planted there because the soil is conducive to fruitful trees. All right, and the rest of them are bearing fruit, but this one is not. And so the owner of the vineyard says, dig it up. Why are we going to take up room in our vineyard for a tree that doesn't bear fruit? And so the, the, the keeper of the vineyard, that is a picture of Jesus, all right? See, God is the same. God is a God of wrath, you know. In the Old Testament, he would just, he just deal with it. But now we have an advocate between us and God. We, we are that fig tree, a fruitless fig tree in hard ground sometimes. A lot of people's hearts are hard. And it's a picture of God, how Jesus said, don't, don't, don't just destroy it. Don't dig it up. Don't burn it yet. Let me, let me soften the ground around it. Let me soften it up. Let me feed it. And then we'll see if it bears fruit. Can you see that? Say Amen. Now, Jesus uses parables like that to get across uh, a message in a practical way that people will understand. And the message this morning, I want to talk about three people uh, who very much like us. They started out innocent in life, and they were just, we all started as babies, right? There's nothing more innocent than a baby, right? And, And I understand we got two more on the way. Heidi, where did Heidi go? She was sitting here a minute ago. Well, huh? She's working in children's ministry. Heidi's going to have a baby, right? Is that, that right? And I just heard this morning Anastasia's got one on the way. Amen. Hallelujah. And then we just had one more this week. 
I call him Jude the Dude. His name is Jude. I'm like, Jude the Dude. He's a handsome little fella, Tim and Megan. But we all start out that way. Innocent. Everybody has dreams, ambitions in life. You have hopes and goals. I mean, you ask any child, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they will tell you something. You know, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a policeman. I want to be a nurse. I want to be an airline stewardess. I want something. And I met this one kid one time. I said, I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? He said, I want to be a video game maker. I said, really? I said, do you like to play video games? He said, yeah. I said, are you good at it? He said, oh, yeah, I can beat them all. <laughs> I said, well, where's this company that hires video game makers? What's the name of it? Well, I don't know. I'll have to figure that out. <laughs> I said, no, son, what you need to do is go in the military. He said, well, I'm going to do that too. I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. <laughs> I said, well, at least he had a dream, amen? But somehow or another, sometimes through no fault of our own or Sometimes it's our own bad choices. Those dreams fade. They die and they change. Some people make a lot of mistakes in their life. Because I don't know anybody that starts out in life saying, I want to make something out of my life. I'm going to work hard and I'm going to become a deadbeat, don't get a job mama's boy. Nobody starts out that way. Nobody starts out saying, I think I'm going to have some ambition in life. I'm going to make something out of myself. I'm going to be a dopehead. I'm going to be an alcoholic. Just an old falling down drunk. No kid, when you ask him, what do you want to do when you grow up? They say, I want to grow up and be a lying, cheating thief. No little girl, you ask her, what do you want to be when you grow up? She says, I want to be a tramp. I want to find just as many men as I can. I want to ruin their lives, break up their home, be a home wrecker. No little boy asking me, what do you want to be? I want to be a whoremonger. I'm going to find women. I'm just going to use them, throw them aside, leave them broken and shattered. If you get to be a dad, what kind of dad do you want to be? I want to be a deadbeat dad. No groceries in the house. Send my kids to school with dirty clothes and dirty hair and stinking. Yeah, that's what I want to be. I got my drugs. I got money for my toys, but I don't care about my kids or any mama. What kind of mom you want to be? I want to be a life is all about me, mama. Use my kids as a sympathy card to get welfare. Nobody starts out that way. I don't know anybody that has a dream like that. But sadly, there's people that wind up that way. Amen? Now, maybe it's not that extreme, and I don't think anybody in here is like that. God, I hope you're not. <laughs> but sometimes we do have crusty hearts and things that happen in life and it makes us hard so how does a person get to that point well when I thought about it as how does a person get to that point sometimes it's observation you know some people they just don't know any better they grew up their parents weren't good parents and so they just did what they saw done you know my dad grew up in a family of 10 kids Ten kids, he was right smack in the middle, and he was, the, he was the, the whipping child. He didn't have a good example of what a mom and dad would be. And so he didn't really know how to be a good dad. He did the best that he knew how. But that's one good thing about the church. 
Because people, a lot of times, will come into your environment, and they, they're out of place here. They, sometimes they don't know how to act. They don't know what to say. And, and it may, maybe they don't know how to be a good dad or a good husband. But that's the benefit of coming into the house of God because there's men here that know how to be a good dad. There's men here that know how to be a good husband, and they will teach you. There's women that know how to be a good mom and how to be a good wife, and they will teach you. We learn from that. A whole lot of what I learned about life, I learned from other people in the church. I mean, my mom and dad did the best that they could, but they didn't have a very good example. And what happens is a lot of times we learn that, and it's passed on from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. Sometimes it's done out of survival. You know, just life just happens. A lot of bad things happen, and your heart gets harder, and more things happen, and your heart gets harder, and we don't, I mean, there's other ways it could happen, I suppose, but no matter how it happens, a lot of times people become something they never thought they would be. It's a progression. We don't start that way. We, it, it starts out small, and then it grows, and sin is like that. A lot of people's like, I would never do that. And they find themselves in a situation where the pressure is strong and people's trying to encourage them, come on, try this. I was one of those. I grew up in church. And I stepped out of church into the construction world. And I was not prepared for that. They didn't prepare me for that. And suddenly I'm around a bunch of grown men, and I want to be their equals, you know, and they're doing stuff that I, I said I would never do. And the next thing you know, I'm doing it. Huh? And, and you do it, and then you're like, well, this is not so bad. A bolt of lightning didn't hit me. God didn't kill me. Wasn't so bad. You said, well, I'll do this, but I'll never do that. And then the next thing you know, you move the line a little bit further. The next thing you know, you're doing that. You're like, well, I'll do this and I'll do that, but I would never, ever, ever, ever do that. And pretty soon, you don't move the line a little bit further. And a lot of people think sometimes they're doing it all. I've known people like that. And then they will start to justify themselves like, well, yeah, I know. I do this and I do that, but at least I'm not like so-and-so. You know, at least I'm not like those people down at the church. They say they do all this, but they're just a bunch of hypocrites. At least I admit what I do. I'm not a hypocrite. At least I'm real. I'm like, yeah. They'll pick on some well-meaning Christians just because they're struggling in their area, some area in their life, and then they'll think, well, I'm better than they are. Maybe I do this and that, but at least I'm not a hypocrite about it. You ever heard anybody say that? I'm like, yeah, you're real. You're a real dope addict. You're a real alcoholic. You're a real liar. You're a real cheat and a thief. You're a real whoremonger, a real whore. And you're real lonely. And you're real sad. And you're real broken. And you're real wounded. You're real hurt. You're a real mess. But at least you're real. You're not a hypocrite about it. Now, the story of the first person I want to tell you about, she was a person like that. She was like me. She grew up in church. She was there every Sunday. She went to all the VBS. She said, when the VBS, that's Vacation Bible School, for those that don't know what that means, a lot of churches, they'll have a Vacation Bible School, and they won't have it the same week as the church down the road. They'll have it at a different week, and if you're a smart mom, you can get a free babysitter all summer. 
You just take your child to this VBS and take them to that one. And she said, I went to every VBS in town because it was free babysitting from my mom. <laughs> she said, I knew all of the songs. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. She said, I knew the Bible verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For Jesus came not into the world to condemn the world, but through, the world, through him the world might be saved. She said, I, I could quote all those scriptures. So she grew up in that. She said one time she was 10 years old, this visiting pastor came and said she had all, he had all the children set right there on the front two rows, and he turned the heat way up in the church, and he preached on hellfire and damnation. And, he, and then at the end of it, he said, all of you bow your heads. And he said they bowed their heads and said, don't look around. And she said, I was scared to look around because he told me not to. And he said, who in here wants to go to hell? She said, I wanted to look up so bad and see who in here is dumb enough to raise their hand and say, oh, I want to go to hell. <laughs> but he said, if you don't want to go to hell, then you need to get up here to this altar. And said, all the kids went to the altar. And she said, well, I didn't want to be the only one going to hell, so I went up there too. And said, I was crying, and they was crying. He said, my mama was shouting and having a good time because if you cry in church, that means that you really had an experience with God. She said, but I went back to the seat the same way I left it because God didn't do anything in my heart. Nothing really changed. This girl's name was Iris. You may have heard her testimony. And she said all of her life, she said, I liked little boys from the time I was in the cradle. She said, I just wanted to be treated special because Iris, when she was 12 years old, was six foot three inches tall. She was a big girl. And she said, I always wanted to be one of those pretty, petite little girls that all the boys treated special. They carried your books, and they opened your locker, and they sent you the little notes that says, I like you. Do you like me? And she said, I just wanted to be one of those little girls. She says, but I never was one of those. All the way through school, she said, I had one boyfriend, and he was about that tall. And said, the only reason he liked me is that he pulled up on a Harley one day, and his foot wouldn't hardly touch the ground. And he said, get on she said, so I got on, and I thought he liked me. He said, but the only reason he wanted me there was because my legs was long enough to reach the ground and hold the bike up when we come to a stop sign. And so she was 12 years old. She was at school, <clears throat> and this little boy came up to her and said, Iris, can I ask you something? She thought, oh, boy, he's going to ask me to go steady. He's going to ask me to be his girlfriend or ask me out to a party. She's like, yeah. He said, would you give me a piggyback ride? And she said, I ran all the way home, ran upstairs, and ran into my bedroom, and I laid on the bed just crying. I said, God, why did you make me like this? What's wrong with me? Why can't I be like other little girls? And said, my mom came in and said, Iris, honey, don't, don't. Don't take it so hard. Said, God made you like this. And she said, when she said that to me, I thought, well, if God made me this way, I don't like God. And at age 13, she said, if I can't be happy one way, I'll be happy another. She ran away from home. She found out that perverted older men will treat you special. And so she gave herself to sex, drugs, alcohol. She became a heroin addict at age 14. Her mom came to the bar where she was at. The door opened. She could see the sunlight, see her mom standing in the door, and she fell down behind the bar. Her mom couldn't see because it was dark inside. 
So she came in, she asked the bartender, said, I'm looking for my daughter, showed her a picture. She's crying and weeping, said, could, could, have you seen her? He's leaning across the bar over top of Iris. He's kneeling down there. He said, no, I hadn't seen her. She said, well, here's my phone number. If you see her, would you please call me? And she left, and they got up and had a big laugh about her mom looking for her because her heart's just getting harder and harder and harder. Over and over, she got into trouble, and the police back in those days, because she's a minor, they would just say, well, they'd take you home to your parents, and they brought her home to her mom. Couldn't do anything with her. All the time, mom's still going to church, making excuses, lying about what's going on, because she didn't want anybody to know what was going on with her daughter. At age 17, she's back in trouble again, and she's in court for armed robbery. She thought, well, I'm a minor. They won't do anything. Well, when she turned 18, they tried her as an adult and sentenced her to eight years in prison. And she said, when I went to prison, I was a formidable opponent because she's six foot three, and she was nobody to mess with. When she would get in a fight, they wouldn't send the women guards in. They would send the men guards in there because all the women guards was afraid of her. And she spent three to almost to four years of the seven years she served in, in prison in solitary confinement. And what they didn't realize is that she would be walking down the hall. Somebody come up to her and said, good morning. And said she would just try her best just to knock them out. She said, because it wasn't a good morning. It was a horrible morning. It wasn't good for her. And then they would, she would fight all the way to solitary confinement, acting like she didn't want to go there. She said, but when I would go there, it was the only place where I had, uh, I had solitude. And I would go in my mind to a place where I was that pretty petite little girl that just wanted to be loved and treated special. She finally got out of prison. Her dad picked her up at the prison, brought her home. She went upstairs, and there was seven years worth of Christmas presents on her bed. And so she's looking at all that, and she really didn't care. She honestly didn't care. And then her younger sister came up and says, Iris, I've got a present for you too. Won't you come on and go, go with, with me uh, in my car? And so her little sister took her out, and she had some drugs. She said, within hours, I was right back to the old life, doing drugs and going wild again. Then she decided that she was going to go into business. So she got her a bar, and she had a topless bar. Then she got a second one. Then she got a third one. And uh, her mom, she didn't know what to do with her. And finally, church, listen to this. Finally, her mom went to church, and she came clean. She said, guys, I, I have been lying to you about my daughter. She hasn't gone off to school. She hasn't been sick. She was in prison. And told her everything that was going on with her. And says, I don't know what to do with her. Will you pray with me? And so she went and told Iris, said, Iris, I know that I won't see you in heaven. And that breaks my heart because, honestly, I don't even want to go to heaven myself if you're not going to be there because I want my family in heaven with me. And so I don't know what else to do with you, Iris. So I turn you over to Jesus. And she said that touched her just a little bit, but she just kind of fluffed it off and her mom kept on so two weeks later she decided well I'll go to church with mom just to kind of keep her quiet she's bugging me to death and so here's this woman this topless bar owner sitting in church and she didn't listen to a thing the pastor said she could have cared less she just wanted to get through it but there was this young man in the church and she met him and when he met her 
He said, you know what? I've been going to church all my life, and I really haven't done anything for the Lord. And he made it his mission, said, I am going to reach Iris for the kingdom of God. And so he just pestered her for a couple weeks and said, he'd call her up and say, praise the Lord, Iris. I just want you to know I've been clicked. She'd just hang up. Finally, he got her on the phone. He said, you hear about that woman that had five husbands and she's shacking up? And he, she thinks he's talking about one of her girls, you know. She's like, all my girls are too young to be married five times. Who is he talking about? He said, who are you talking about? He said, the woman Jesus talked to at the well. And Iris, he forgave her. And he'll forgive you. And she's like, don't, don't. And he talked me into listening to a Bible story. She hung up. So finally, he came to the bar. He went in. And she's like, oh, he come inside now. And she said, he never would look at anything but my eyes. He said, Iris, I will not defile myself by staying in here. He said, if you'll come out to the car, I got something I want to I give you, and then I'm, I won't bother you anymore. So she said, okay, he's finally giving in. Because she would deliberately expose herself to him, just trying to slime him. She so came out to the car, and he said, Iris, I, I know what you and those girls are trying to do. You think that I'm not a man, but I am. I'm a man just like any other man, and I know what you're trying to do. He said, but Iris, I would not trade your eternity for a few moments of pleasure. Your eternity means more than that to me. He said, but I'm not going to be able to see you anymore because I have made a commitment to God that I will not associate with a tramp. And she said, when he said that to me, I wanted to cut his throat because for the first time, somebody is treating me special, and now he has talked to me like I'm a piece of trash to be thrown away, called me a tramp. He said, no, Iris, you don't understand. You are a tramp, but God wants to make you a lady. He wants to change you. And she said, when he said that, something just exploded inside of her. And she said, well, if God can make me a lady, then I will give my life to him. And he said, Iris, God will make you a lady. And so she knelt down in front of her topless bar and committed her life to Christ. And she said, I knelt down a tramp and I stood up a lady. Now all the stories that she had heard all of her life came flooding back to her. Isaiah 55, 11 says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return unto me void. Come on, all those seeds that was planted in her throughout her childhood begin to grow. What's happening? Her crusty heart is being softened. And now God is beginning to fertilize that little seed that's been planted there. He said it'll accomplish that which he pleases. It's going to prosper in the thing whereinto he sent it. He sent the word into her. And so when she got real with herself and when she got real with God, God transformed her life. Luke chapter 7, we see another story of the second person I want to talk about. She was a tramp. Verse 36 says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus was sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flax of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. She began to wash his feet with her hair and wiped them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, 
This man, if he, knew, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Teacher, say it. Verse 41, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who he forgave more. And he said, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven you. Now, there's three people in this room. You got Jesus, you got Mary, and you got the Pharisee. Now, who is this Mary, and how did she get to this point? If you look at John 11, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and his sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother was Lazarus. So this is Lazarus' sister. All right? So Lazarus was a good man. Martha was a good woman. So what happened to little sister? She came from a good home. How did she get to this place? I, don't, I can't really say whether she learned it, whether it was just life happened to her or bad choices. And it may be because a lot of people's like, that just looks so much like it's so much fun. I want to do that. I just want to try it. Brother, I'm going to tell you, I've said this little riddle many times, and if you haven't learned it by now, you need to. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. It will always keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will always cost you more than you want to pay. People say, well, I just want to try that. Brother, the, Jesus said the, the, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Do you understand what that means? You, you, you ball up dough, and we have self-rising dough now, but if you, back when they didn't have self-rising dough, it was just dough, and then you put a little bit of yeast in it. That's leaven. And all you got to do is put one little pinch of yeast in it, and then the whole lump becomes yeasted. And what he's talking about is sin. You, I just want to try that. It's not that big of a deal. It's, it's something small. It leavens the whole lump. And it always takes you further than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay. It costs you more than you want to pay. Because you move the line this time, and then you move it a little bit further, and you move it a little bit further. Next thing you know, you're a sinner at Jesus' feet, crying, washing his feet. I don't know how she got there, but my mind says she kept moving the line a little bit further and a little bit further. Well, that line needs to stay put, Amen. There's a line we shouldn't cross, and you really shouldn't cross it. Now, that scripture's really been misunderstood because we think, well, if I sin a whole lot, then I'll love Jesus more when I get saved. That's not what that's saying, just so that you know. Well, what he's suggesting, because when she comes in, she's coming into this Pharisee's house. He detests everything about her. He's unkind. He's unloving. He's judgmental. 
Now, let me ask you, who's racking up the most sin here? In that room, in that moment. That Pharisee is. In fact, Jesus didn't rebuke sinners. Now, he, he didn't give them a pass, because we also read in, we, we read there in, in, in Luke 13, how that the Galileans that died, he said, were they worse sinners than the others? He's like, no. Unless you repent, you're going to die the same way. And the tower that fell on them, were they, they worse sinners? No. Unless you repent, you're going to, he would tell people that they needed to repent. But the people that he rebuked was always the Pharisees. Because of their pride and their arrogance and their judgmental attitude and their, they were unloving and they were unkind. And he called them hypocrites. So Jesus is not suggesting that she had more sin and, than Simon. In fact, Simon was the biggest sinner in that room. What he was saying is, she, even though she had a lot of sins and she loves much, is because I've forgiven her of those sins. You love little because you haven't been forgiven of, of the mountains of sin that you have. And a lot of times we can look at people, we, we can do that as a church. We come to church every Sunday. I can quote the scripture. I sing the songs. I, I try to do this and this and that. And somebody comes in like that, a prostitute, a stripper, or this or that, and you're like, talk to them. I was in a church like that. I was in a church like that. This big biker dude came to church, and they didn't want him there because he, he, he didn't fit into our social group. It's one reason I coined the motto when we first started church. I said, I want people to feel welcome here that's not even welcome in the foyer of some churches. We, we said this is a perfect place for those who aren't. Amen. Come on. This, it should be. I pray that it is. It's a perfect place for people that's not perfect because there's nobody in here perfect. I can tell you how to have a perfect church, though. You want to know how to have a perfect church? Everybody get out. All right, then I'll clean it up all nice and clean and sparkly and shiny and new, and then I'll have to leave. All right, then you'll have a perfect church, perfectly clean, perfectly empty. But as long as we're here, we're not going to have a perfect church. There are no perfect churches. And when people come in, they should feel welcome, and we should love them and embrace them. We don't embrace their sin. We tell them, unless you repent, you're going to die in your sin. You're going to hell. But that doesn't mean we're not going to love you. Jesus didn't condemn her when she came in. He forgave her sin. You know, so we, we can, well, sometimes, church, if we're not careful, our hearts can get hard too. And we can be more like the Pharisee. You know, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't hang around with those who do. I go to church. I had a 12-year perfect attendance pen. How many of you know what that is? No? Nah? Y'all remember that? You get to first, you get the little shield for year number one. Then you get a reef to go around that shield. And it had little hooks on, you get year number three and year number four and five. I had 12 of them. We had a youth group one time talking about a man had a, had a perfect tennis pin so long that he finally tripped over and broke his leg and missed a Sunday. <laughs> Proud of that perfect tennis. I had 12 years perfect tennis pin and I was a little heathen. That, ter that perfect attendance pen didn't mean nothing. Brother, I knew how to play church. I could play the role, and I had mom and dad snowed, or at least I thought I did. 
When I turned 19, I was like, I got to get some distance between mom and dad because I don't want them to know all the stuff that I'm doing. I'm in the construction world now, and I was doing some not good stuff. I tried to run from God, ran right into him. You can't outrun their prayers, I'm going to tell you right now. Amen. They, they, their prayers ran me down. But let me, let, let's, let me get through with this. Are you still with me? Say amen. amen. Let, let's break down what she did, and, and I want you to see the symbolism in this. She unbound her hair. She came in, she unbound her hair. A Jewish woman only unbound it and took her hair down or uncovered her head for one person, her husband. By doing that in the presence of these men in that room, what she was saying is, I am available, come and take me. Because that was a, that was a sign of a prostitute. It was a sign of a, of, a, of a woman of the street. And so when the Pharisees saw that, she unbound her hair. But what she was saying is there is one in this room who is worthy to make a covenant with. And I am giving myself to him. Not physically. It's not a sexual thing. It's a spiritual thing. See, there's one here who is worthy for me to cut covenant with and to get an entry into covenant because it's like a wedding. This is what the young man told Iris, said, Iris, it's like a wedding. You give yourself to Jesus, and he gives himself to you. And she learned that, and she's used that in her testimony for years since then. She's been in ministry, still in ministry for, for many, many years. She's the woman that had so many abortions, they didn't think she could have a child, but she did. She's got a son, and he's in the ministry now. So she unbound her hair <clears throat> like she's giving herself to Christ. And also, she broke her alabaster box. What is that? It, this is her dreams. Every child has a dream. Well, little Jewish girls, they would have that alabaster bottle, and they would save that for their wedding night. The only time they broke that was to fragrance their bed and to fragrance their hair for their wedding night. And when she broke that, it was a symbol of, I am entering into a covenant with you to make you my husband and I your wife, spiritually. The Bible says that we are the bride of Christ. The body of the, the church is the bride of Christ. We are to enter covenant with him. Come on, we don't hold on to our dreams. Our dream should be his dream. And what she's saying is, I'm giving up my dream for your dream. All of us should give up our dream for his dream. Jesus said, not my will, Father, but thine be done. Are you still with me? Say amen. People just need to let their hair down. Huh? People need to let their hair down. It's also symbolic of just, this is who I am. I'm not trying to hide it. She come in there, this, this is what I am. I, I have unbound my hair for many men. This is who I am. Like Iris' mom, she came in like, I've been lying to you. This is what's going on now. God help me. Because I, I believe sometimes God can't help us that we get real. We have to come clean. The book of James says, confess your faults one to another that you might be healed. There is something healing about confession. I, I told you about a lady that she lived with a secret for 70 years, for 70 years. She lived in a self-made prison of something she did. And she finally came clean and said, this is what I've done. And she was told, look, 
I don't think any less of you because God has forgiven you. She said, how can I forgive myself for the terrible things I've did, done? I said to her, well, if that's true, all of us are unforgiven. None of us can forgive ourselves because we've all done bad things. You have to forgive yourself because God's forgiven you. And there was a freedom that came over this woman after living in a self-made prison for 70 years. Come on, sometimes you just need to let your hair down. You need to come clean. You need to confess your faults. At least I'm not saying spill your guts out to everybody. You know, Joyce Meyer, she talks about being molested as a child. There, there's something redeeming about that. Because once you get it out there, Satan can never use you. He loves to keep you in the darkness. He, secrets and dark places and stuff is a prison. Because once it's out there, you don't have to hide from that anymore. And you think, that, well, I can't tell people that. They'll think this about me and they'll think that about me. No, they, if, if they're a Pharisee, they will, but who cares? But if they've got the heart of Christ and the love of Christ, they're going to respect you and admire you for that. I know I've seen people do that. Repent and come clean, and I respect them. I hold them in higher regard because of their truthfulness. People with dark secrets are bound. So she knew that Jesus could set her free, and she stopped at nothing to get to him. I don't care what you think. I'm letting my hair down, Pharisee. Yeah, I'm a prostitute. So what? I don't care what you think because I'm not letting anything stand between me and Jesus. I'm going to get to him no matter what it takes. The Pharisee gave nothing, and he received nothing. His sins, which were many, were unforgiven, and so he loved little. That's the meaning of that scripture. She knelt down a tramp and stood up as a lady. All right, the third to last person I want to talk about is a guy by the name of Dwayne, Dwayne Blue. He lived in a bus, couldn't read, never been in church a day in his life. He lived in a bus because he didn't want to be obligated to anybody. He wanted to be free. And so he could take his bus and he could go anywhere. And he said, I could pull up, man, and it wasn't hard to get a party going. And people come into my bus, man, we'd be partying. They're like, man, Dwayne, you got the life, man. You don't have to answer to anybody. You're free. You can... He said, but when the party was over, everybody would leave, and I was on that bus all by myself. And he said, it wasn't free. He said, there was just an emptiness in me. He finally parked it at a garage across the street from his mom's house. He said, I broke into her house and stole from her many times to pay for my drugs. He said, one day I broke through the window, climbed through the window, went to the bathroom, and my mom was laying on the floor. She was dead. She couldn't take it anymore. She committed suicide. He said, I went in the kitchen, got out a loaf of bread, and made a peanut butter sandwich, sat down and ate it, stole some stuff, and left. I mean, you talk about hard-hearted. He just did not care. Drugs and, and stealing, they just go hand in hand. Well, one day he gets a job on a construction job with none other than Iris's brother. And Iris's brother started trying to testify, witness to him. And he'd never been around Christians before. All he knows, he didn't like that kid, you know. He was weird. And so he would try to test witness to him. And finally he said, Blue, I want you to come home with me for Christmas. And he said, I hated holidays. 
He said, I'd go to the store and I'd see all these families and they're buying trees and buying presents and I knew they were going to be together and I was going to be alone again. I hated it. He said, I didn't like this kid, but this is an opportunity to go and sit down and eat a meal with, with a family. He said, I, I wasn't going to pass that up. He said, besides that, I had some drugs. I was going to get high and steal as much as I could from them before I left. And so, uh, Iris' little brother called her up. She had bring somebody to the dinner. She brought a, a, a gay activist guy to Thanksgiving dinner and some other people. He calls her up and said, said, um, said, Iris, don't bring a weirdo with you this year. I got one I'm bringing with me. And he told her, he said, Blue, said, I want you to come meet my sister. So she used to be a lying, good-for-nothing thief just like you. And so he, he said, all right, well, he went and met her. And so she started witnessing to him. And instead of stealing from them, he was interested in what she had to say. And uh, she finally told him one day, said, Blue, said, she called him on the phone, said, Blue, if, if you were married and you found out that your wife was running around with another man, would that be okay? He said, no, it wouldn't be okay. He said, if we're married, she needs to be committed to me and just, just to me alone. He said, she said, that's the way it is with Jesus. She said, it's like a wedding. You give yourself to Jesus, and he gives himself to you. And he will never betray you, and you should never betray him. And so through that witnessing, Blue gave his heart to Christ. And she knelt down with Blue. He got saved, and he got up and went out to the first church he could find. He walked up to the pastor. He said, I just got saved and I want to come to work at your church. He didn't know how to talk. He still used a lot of words that would probably offend most of you. Oh, come on, I've known people like that. How many of you talk, know what I'm talking about? I mean, they, they, I, I worked with a guy like that. His name was Bones. He carried a knife in each pocket and he could pull them out and he'd had them out many times and had used them. He was one sure enough mean man. <clears throat> he was scary. <clears throat> and and uh, he, he got in a fight at a bar one night. He reached in his pocket, and the guy grabbed his hand and said, what are you going to do now? He come out of the other pocket and tuck a knife up to his throat and said, I'm going to cut your throat. So, I mean, that's the way he was. You know, well, he got saved. He said he went to his mother's funeral now, never been to church. Went to his mother's funeral. There's this big white cross on the, on the grave there. And he said, something about that cross, he just saw it, you know, and he's like, that, that's nice. He knew what the cross was, but... He said he had a dream one night, and, and in the dream, that cross, it raised up off of that grave and turned like a sword and was just jabbing in his face like that. He said, it scared the bejeebies out of me. And, as, and through a series of events, he, he came to Christ. Drank liquor like, a, like water. He said after he got saved, he went home, got all his liquor bottles. He said, I would whip you if you spilt a drop. He said, but I poured every bit of it down the sink. Well, when he came to work, <laughs> he had a gutter mouth. You know, and a lot of Christians are like, well, he can't be a Christian. Talk. Come on, church. Come on. They, you, you don't get, listen, you don't get to be like, like Iris Blue from a child to a prostitute and then from a prostitute to a Christian overnight. It just doesn't happen that way. It's a process. And, and you take a man like this, he comes into church, maybe he don't know how to talk. He doesn't know how to act. He don't know what to say. He don't know how to do church. And we need to have some grace and some patience and, and teach them because they don't know. 
That's the benefit of coming to church. Men, you can teach men how to be good dads. You can teach them how to be good husbands. Wives, women, you can teach them, a, a, a young lady, how to be a mom and how to be a wife. And so Blue was like that. He didn't know what to do, and he, he, said, he followed the pastor around for two weeks, and the pastor didn't know what to do with this guy. Big old long hair, big bearded, Harley-riding dude, you know. He's scary. All the adults in the church were scared of him. Nobody would reach out to him because he'd sit over there and they're all afraid of him. Church, the world's full of people like that. I went with Nathan one time, my son, to buy a bush hog. And this guy, I mean, he was, that was one big dude, man. He was like a side of a mountain. Boom, boom. Big, burly, just, I'm like, whew, whew. The little skinny me, I'm like, he could snap me like a twig, you know. Well, we get to talking, I'm like, Told him, I said, well, I'm, I'm a Pentecostal pastor. He backed up. He said, well, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I thought, oh, gosh, he's getting ready to hit me. I, I, maybe I don't look like a preacher. I don't know. So we talked a little bit. We got ready to leave, and I, I just felt impressed to pray with this man. Church, this will work. Don't say, can I pray for you, because that implies you need prayer. <laughs> that can be demeaning and insulting. Say, can I pray with you? And so I asked him, I said, I said, look, I'm a Pentecostal preacher. I said, is there anything I could pray about? You know, is there something you need? I, I, can I pray with you? And he said, yeah, my brother's in UVA hospital. Can we pray for him? I'm like, sure. I reached and shook his hand. And, Golly, man, I, I couldn't even wrap my fingers around his hand. It was so big. It was huge. He's like Goliath, you know. And I started praying, and that man started sobbing. He started sobbing like a little baby. Come on, don't let that outer exterior fool you. Inside, we're the same. Uh, we went to, me and Jeannie went to no, uh, Northern Virginia to buy a, a, a geo tracker. And this guy, he was, a, he was a horse trader, you know. And you could tell he was a, he was a dealer, wheeler dealer, you know. And so we, I, the same thing. I, just, I don't always do this, but I just felt impressed to pray with him. I was like... Well, before we go, is there something I could pray with you about? And he's like, well, no, I don't guess so. I said, well, do you mind if I pray? He's like, no, nah, I don't care. Me and Jeannie started praying, and that guy got down on the street, and he cried a puddle of tears in the street, right in the middle of the street in front of his house in his own neighborhood. Just started weeping. Come on, the Spirit of God can do some amazing things if we just give him an opportunity. Amen. We went just the other day, bought some, I bought some ten, Tennessee Ridgeback rabbits. I'm training some beagle puppies, all right? <laughs> Same thing, I just, I just felt compelled. Pray for this. He's living with his girlfriend, they're not married. I was like, can I pray for you before we go? He's like, I mean, they don't even know what to think. He's like, I guess so, you know, see. I prayed with him, and he went in the house. He got the papers and got something out of the house. I forget what it was now. Told his girlfriend, said, man, they just prayed for us and blessed our house and blessed our home and blessed us, and that meant something to him. You know, so here's Blue. He's sitting there, and all they're afraid of him, <clears throat> and he's bugging the pastor. said, I just want to do something. He said, all right, <clears throat> we got vacation Bible school coming up. You can help us with vacation Bible school. He said, all right. So the day of vacation Bible school showed up, he showed up on his Harley with his duffel bag packed. He said, I don't know where we're going on vacation, but I'm going with them. <laughs> Come on here. But they don't know. He didn't know. And so they put him in a classroom full of little four-year-old kids. 
He said, I've never been around a kid in my life. He said, all I know is they're little, and if I break one, they're going to get mad at me. <laughs> and so he, he, he's in the classroom, and the, one of the, there's two women in there, and one of them says, I've got to run out of my car and get something. I'll be right back. <laughs> out the door. A few minutes later, they said, I've got to run to the office and get some supplies. I'll be right back. You watch the kids. And said, she's out the door. He said, and all of a sudden, these four-year-olds started tearing this room apart. He's looking at me. He said, I didn't know what to do. He said, her children, I am from the planet Zorb. I have come here to tell you to sit down and behave. He said, all of them's eyes got real big. He said, when the teachers came back in, he had them all sitting on the floor colored in coloring books. He said that the people in that church wouldn't have nothing to do with me. He said, but those kids got through to my heart. So one of them come up and grab my little, grab my finger. He said, they called me Brother Blue. He said, Brother Blue, would you come home with me? My mom and daddy's never read a, met a real alien before. <laughs> come on, children, they'll show, they just love. Huh? Come on, don't they? If you don't, if you don't taint them, they don't know. You can take a white kid and a black kid, and they'll just love on each other and play with each other. They don't know that they're different, anything different. Huh? We teach them that. They learn that from us. We need to learn something from them. And he said, one day, then my Harley wouldn't start, and I didn't get to church. Next Sunday, couldn't get it going. Three Sundays. Nobody ever called me. Nobody checked on me. He said, and the next week, one of the girls I used to work with at the bar came over with a bowl of soup. Said, Blue, I hadn't seen you in a while. Just thinking about you. How you been doing? You all right? He said, church, it's a sad thing when the world looks more like Jesus than the church does. Now, he didn't get mad at the church because a lot of people, they don't care about me. They didn't check on me and poof, out the door. Now, that, that's not Christ. What did he do? He's like, well, if they're not going to check on people, I'll check on people. So he became an example to them. He got more involved in church. And then he married Iris. Dwayne and Iris Blue, you ought to pull up their testimony and listen to it for yourself. It's an amazing testimony of how Jesus transformed them. He learned how to read and, <laughs> and everything. And they go, they've been all over the world witnessing for Jesus. <clears throat> So what is all that? This, this is just a few examples of a few people that's <clears throat> a part of humanity. Blue was lonely. He was lonely. There's a lot of people like that. They just need someone to reach out to them. And any of us can do that. Church, you can pray. It doesn't have to be some big powerful prayer. In fact, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for praying those big long prayers to be heard. Just a simple prayer. And if you ask somebody, can I pray with you? I've, I've, I can't remember a time that somebody said, no, I don't want you praying with me. They will always say, yeah. I was riding my bike one day, and, I, and this, this works for bikers. <clears throat> I pulled up, and this guy, he was a Harley dude, had his girlfriend, their bike was broke down. I went over and said, man, can I help you? He's like, no, nah, I got it, and blah, blah, blah. And he was kind of being blunt with me, you know. That's kind of that world, you know. And, and I was ready for that. I was fine. <clears throat> and I said, well, um, where are you going? I'm trying to start a conversation with him. He don't want to talk. He's, I, I guess he thought I was trying to put the move on his girlfriend or something. I don't know what he thought. 
Yeah, like I'm a real. Uh. And so then I said, got ready to go. I said, well, man, I said, uh, I belong to the Honorbound Motorcycle Ministry. Can I bless your bike? Any biker you ask that, he's like, <clears throat> yeah, man. You bless my bike, I want it to stay upright and on the highway. Yeah. And no cars are pulling down, dogs, deer and stuff running out in front of me. Bless my bike. But I'm not blessing his bike. I'm praying for him. He just don't know it. Huh? There's lonely people everywhere, like blue. They just need to know Jesus cares. Well, how do we, how do we show people that Jesus cares? The Bible says you are the body of Christ. If you care, he cares. We're, it's like the little boy's in a wagon and he's pulling up the hill and it's heavy. And his mama said, God's everywhere. And he said, was he in that red wagon? She said, uh, she said yeah. He said, well, can you tell him to get out and help me push his wagon up hill? <laughs> so I need a God with skin on him. Amen. We can't see God. We need a God with skin on him. Well, we are the skin on Jesus. Do you understand? People need to know Jesus cares. You show them that you care. That's how we show them Jesus cares. Get out and find people like that. Blue had a dream. He wanted to be free, and he wanted to be different. He said, I want to be different. That's why I let my hair grow out, and I grew a big old beard. He said, then I belonged to a bunch of bikers, and they all had long hair and beards. I wasn't different than any of them. But he found out that Jesus makes you free. He makes you different. First Peter 2, 9 says, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy people, and a, you're a, a holy nation, a peculiar people. You should show forth the praises of God. The Bible says, whom the Son has made free is free indeed, John 8, 36. Iris, she was religious but not saved. Her dream was always being special. Well, Psalms 37, 4 and 5 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord and trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. What did she do? She committed her life to Christ and started living for him. What did God do? When she delighted herself in Jesus, the thing she always wanted, I just want somebody to love me and treat me special. And Blue treats her like a queen. I watched him giving a testimony. She got up and gave her testimony and said, now Blue's going to come. And when she goes over to sit down, he's walking behind her like helping her sit down. That, that says to me he cares about her. And it wasn't for show. I think it was tr the true intent of his heart. He loves her. She's special to him. She got the thing she always wanted. Mary, she came from a good family. Gave herself to sin. But she broke her alabaster box and chose Jesus to be her lover. She traded her dreams for his dreams. The Pharisee, all of his tradition, his pride, he had wealth, he had clothing, he had position, everything that the rest of them did not have. But he was like the tree in hard ground. There was no fruit. hard-hearted church we don't want to be like that would you stand with me please we don't want to be like that and I'm not suggesting that we are church don't get me wrong I'm not I'm not scolding you. I'm just giving you an example of having the heart of Jesus 
I'm giving you an illustration of some real, just real people. There may be people right here in our church, and they're, they're not like Iris, and they're not like Blue, but they're hurting. They're lonely. They're broken. Got things going on in their life, and they're like, does anybody care? Does anybody even know? You know, when Blue was out and nobody visited him, and he said it was like they didn't care. Now, now with the COVID thing, it's been awkward for us. Uh, Before this happened, the COVID, because our attendance is is sporadic. I I never know how many we're going to have on Sunday morning because we just don't know. Because some people didn't come back and... Some come and, and, and they maybe have COVID themselves or something. So you don't know if people's out of vacation or. Before that happened, we had a, a, a sheet with everybody's name on it. And I had somebody watch when you come through the door and they would put a check by your name. And they weren't keeping tabs on you. We'd have a staff meeting every uh, last Sunday of every month. And I'd pull that sheet out and I would see if somebody dropped off the radar. Like so-and-so hadn't been three Sundays in a row. Send them a card. Let them know we're thinking about them. Make a phone call. Say, did you send them a card, Pastor? No. Did you make a phone call? No. Well, why? Because if I do that, it's like a football game. And, and I've taught this in here. The Bible says God gave pastors, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. That's stuff all of us need to be doing. You know, the old school way of doing it is that we're going to hire a pastor and see what kind of a job he does while we sit back and watch him. And then I watch pastors work themselves to death. They last about three years and they resign. Because you can't do that. We do this together. And so I challenge you to do that. It's not like I'm trying to get out of it or something. No. People need to know that you care. And so with COVID, it's hard to know who's dropped off the radar they're just you know they're just sitting at home because they're waiting for this endemic pandemic to become now they want to call it an endemic anybody heard that endemics like the flu it's going to always be here it's seasonal and that whatever the case people need to know that we care we don't want to be hard-hearted like the pharisee so Are you angry at God? You know, Iris became angry with God. And a lot of people do. They get angry because of things that didn't go right in their life, a failed relationship or a death in the home, a tragedy of some kind or illness, people, finances, all kind of problems we have. And it's like, God, where are you? And maybe that's why God just kind of triggered that song at the beginning. Even when I don't see you, I know you're working. And, and people that are like, God, where are you? And they get angry with God, like Iris did, you know. And God, if you may be like this, I don't like you. Not realizing the love that he has for her. Because God committed his love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Man, what love is that, huh? What love the Father has bestowed on us. Whew. So I hope that's inspired you, it's challenged you, and... Go find some big old burly, mean-looking 
person and see if you can make them cry. No, I'm just kidding. Pray for them. Pray for them. It, it will amaze. You know what? It's got to be where it's like, I wonder how this is going to go, you know. Because I'll do that sometimes. Can I pray with you? you know, can I pray with you? And I've had some people, they say, yeah, amen. You know, and it's kind of like they were untouched, you know. But you never know how, what, what God's doing in there. You sow that seed. You know, what Paul says, that I, I seed one waters, but God gives the increase. But you got to give God the opportunity. Be his hands, be his feet, be his mouth, be his ears, be his eyes. Be Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we truly do make it a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. That it will guide us, Lord, that we will use it, Father, to develop the ability, Lord, to be Jesus to someone. Now, Lord, I, I, I probably did a horrible job at getting the points across this morning, Lord, but in spite of that, I pray, Father, that it is ministered to the hearts of your people, Lord, that it's challenged us, Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a, a step for you. You know, Blue said, I just want to be real for God. Church, how many of you was real for the devil? Look this way and listen a minute. Anybody in here ever serve the devil? Nobody? Man, y'all, what, y'all grow up in church all your life or something? Been, you ever serve the devil? Did you serve him well? Did everything he told you to do? Some of us, you did it twice. Huh? You know, I saw, I saw a picture. Gina showed me. She, she looks on Facebook stuff all the time. I, I never go on there just once in a while. But she pulled up this picture of people in a football stadium with snow piled on top of them with a blanket wrapped around them watching a football game. Now, I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, first of all, I ain't watched a football game since Kaepernick took a knee. That's just me, all right? And until I get a public apology for what they've done to the American flag and American soldier, I will not be watching it, but that's just me. But these people are sitting there watching a football game with snow piled on top of them. And I wondered, how many of those people are Christians? And would they go to church if that was a pastor down there on that field preaching, would they be sitting there in that snowstorm listening? If Jesus was standing down there preaching, would they be sitting in that snowstorm listening? Now, I'm not saying that football is evil and it's serving the devil. I'm not saying any of that. Please don't mistake what I'm saying. And my convictions are mine. I don't expect you to walk in my convictions. I'm not going to walk in yours. If you watch football game, God bless you. That's fine. But what I'm saying is, if we were that faithful to serve our flesh or to serve Satan, could we be that faithful to serve God? To give him that kind of dedication and commitment to sit in the football stadium with snow piled up on top of us to be there for Jesus. Blue said, I just wanted to be real for Jesus. I was real for Satan. I wanted to be real for Jesus. And he has been. So, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, God, that that same heart, that same attitude, Lord, would be in us, Lord. And, and God, if we haven't done it in the past, Lord, I, don't, I pray, God, that people not fall under condemnation, Lord. 
You said there is therefore now no condemnation to those that be in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. So, Lord, if we haven't been doing that, that's under the blood, Lord. Forgive us. We forgive ourselves. But, Lord, beginning today, God, help us to be more effective witnesses for you to be more caring and more attentive and more loving. If somebody's missing, call them. Reach out to them. I haven't seen you in a while. Are you doing okay? How have you been? And if they start in on, well, the church don't care and they didn't this and the pastor didn't that, don't, don't go down that rabbit hole. Just say, well, you know what? We're, nobody's perfect. But Jesus loves you and I love you. And instead of being angry, let's be an example. Let's be like blue. All right, we'll show the others how it should be done. Get even more involved. So, Father, make, give us that heart to be like you. Make us like you, Jesus. The old song said, make me like you, make me like you. You are a servant. Make me one too. Oh, Lord, I am willing. Do what you must do, but make me like you, Lord. Please make me like you. So make us like you, Jesus, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hunter. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above Raise the mount I'm fixed upon it, mounds of thy redeeming love. Here I raise, here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home jesus sold me when a stranger wandering from the fold of god he to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood Lord, to grace, how great a debtor Daily I'm constrained to be And let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter Bind my wandering heart to thee Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it Prone to leave the God I love Here's my heart, Lord Take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Oh, here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. One more time. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal Seal it for thy courts above. 
you announcing the thing? Yeah, before I close in prayer, Hunter's uh, making an announcement for a, a missions trip we're planning. So, so if you haven't heard, uh, the past two weeks have been uh, announcing the virtual missions trip that we're going to be having. Um, it is going to be uh, with the Jacks family, who we have seen uh, a few times over the years. They've come. There is a sign-up sheet in the foyer if you're interested. Um, I'm kind of limited on how much information I can share just because I don't want to keep you here for a very long time. So if you have any interest whatsoever, then uh, put your name and email address on the sign-up sheet out in the foyer. Um, the date is going to be March the 21st through the 22nd, 26th, I'm sorry. March 21st through March 26th. Uh, it is all throughout the week, but it's set up a lot different than a normal missions trip, if you're familiar at all with that. You can continue your work schedule as normal. You can continue your school schedule as normal. It's not going to affect that. The only time we're going to come together and do something um, as a group, which you would need to come out for, would be that Friday night, the Saturday morning, and then the Saturday evening. The rest of the normal week um, is just going to be um, something that you can do at home. Um, by yourself, and then we can interact as a group. All right, so again, that's a virtual missions trip, March the 21st through March the 26th. Um, I will need uh, a sign-up, a final sign-up, uh, by February the 27th. So you've got a little bit of time to think about it. If you want to get involved, there is a cost um, to do this thing because they're going to be sending stuff over to us, kind of like what's called experience boxes. We're going to be uh, sharing in a Thai meal together. <laughs> because we're doing a spotlight on uh, Thailand. So that's going to be pretty neat. So if you're interested, again, sign-up sheets in the foyer. Put your name and email address, and I will contact you of when our first meeting is, and we'll go over what's going on, the cost involved, and all that, and then you can make your decision on yes, how to move forward, or, or no. All right? Thank you. Amen. I'm going to close this in prayer. Father, I speak a blessing over the body of Christ this morning, Lord, every home that is represented here. God, may it be a refuge, Lord, an escape from the world, Lord, a place where the Holy Spirit is welcome. Strengthen the family today, Father. Husbands and their wives, parents and their children, siblings, one with each other in Jesus' name, Lord. And every person that is walking their journey alone, Lord, they're looking for that special someone in their life. God, you have the mate that they need, Father. Every woman's looking for her husband, God. Every man looking for his wife. God, may they find each other, Lord, and may you give them just a wonderful, beautiful relationship together. In Jesus' mighty name. Now, Lord, if there's somebody that's walking their journey alone, Lord, and they're like Paul, they're just content to be with you, then, Father, you be their peace, God. You be their comforter. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.